Turning to our reading in Philippians chapter 1, I'm emphasizing that lovely phrase in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Oh, I believe that. Do you believe that? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm an old man, and dying is nearer than it's ever been. But for me to live is Christ. And because of that, I'm gripped by this confidence that to die will be my gain. What a great theme. Any Which Way You Can is a, a 1980 American action comedy film starring Clint Eastwood. Some of you might remember it. And it was the sequel to the 1978 hit comedy Every Which Way But Lose. Uh, that's where I get the title, Any Which Way, Do It Well. But the biblical context is very different. It's not a comedy. This is serious stuff that we're thinking about today. Paul was in a dilemma about life and death, whether it was better to live or to die. And his view is summed up in our text. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whether we live or die, let's do it well. Amen? <laughs> I'm glad someone agrees with me. Now, I will always associate this verse with a, a late friend of mine. Some of you might have known him. don't know whether he ever preached uh, The Reverend Freddie Adorkabiji. He was uh, the minister at Grangetown Baptist Church until he passed away. And I saw Freddie uh, regularly, but shortly before he died. He was very weak, and I recited scripture to him and ended up with this text, and his face lit up as we said together, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Facing death and smiling at the prospect. That's what the Christian faith can do for you. If you believe it, it'll help you to live, and it'll help you to die well. You see, Christ is exalted in our living and in our dying, or should be. Christ exalted in the Christian's death. Paul says in verse 20 of our reading, my confidence is this, that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Any which way, death is no threat to a Christian. It is, of course, a threat to the degree that it frustrates our, our plans and our goals, our, our greatest goals, Death is fearful to the uh, degree that it threatens to rob you of what you value most. But for Paul, that wasn't a problem because what he valued most was Christ. He looked at death. He didn't see it as a, a frustration or, or something to fear. He saw it as an occasion for the fulfillment of his highest value, that Christ might be exalted. What a way to live. What a way to face death. Life and death, they seem such opposites, don't they? They seem so contradictory. They seem like enemy. But in Paul's mind, there is somehow a unity about it. So whether by life or by death, Christ would be exalted. The greatest longing that he had would be fulfilled in both his living and his dying. So in a sense, it was a matter of indifference to him, whether he was alive or whether he was to die. Notice his confidence. In verse 21, Paul gives us a, a very packed summary statement of how it is 
that he can be so confident that Christ is going to be exalted whether he's living or whether he dies. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then in verses 22 through to 26, he unpacks this summary statement, and let's take the two halves of uh, verses 20 and 21, and let them be the guidelines through the other verses. Here's the question. How are we going to exalt Christ in our death? How can we die so that in our dying, the value, the magnitude of the value of Christ will be visible? Paul's answer is this. If you believe in your heart, really believe in your heart, that to die is gain, you will exalt Christ in your dying. He says in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two, torn in both ways. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. That is an occasion, amazing statement, any which way, he's going to do it well. Better to die? Better than being with our family? Better than being with my sweetheart, my wife? Better than hugging to myself, my children and my grandchildren? Better than leading a big church as once I did? Better than a well-deserved retirement? <laughs> really? Yes, he says. And yes, again, 10,000 times better so far as Paul is concerned. And because I believe it, I can say to every gray-haired believer, and there are a few here today, the best is yet to come. What did I say? <laughs> the best is yet to come. I believe that, you know, passionately. For to be in Christ now is to be with Christ in our dying. We will exalt Christ in our dying precisely to the degree that we believe that fellowship with him in heaven is more to be preferred than any person or anything on this earth. Jesus said this to his disciples. Bears out what I'm saying. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's a hard saying, isn't it? <laughs> but Jesus said it and he meant it. And when we come to the hour when everything will be taken from us, but Christ, we will exalt in him, saying, in Christ I have everything and more. But you might say, but that's not natural. No, it's not. A natural person wouldn't say that. It's supernatural. Christ in us enables us to say that. But if this is the confidence, it comes with a real challenge. Do you share his confidence? Do you believe that to die is going to be your gain? We won't take a vote this morning. <laughs> But I want to say that for me to live is Christ and to die will be my gain. For when Christians die, they go into the very presence of Christ, to heaven, 
to spend an eternity with God. Let me say to any that are not sure about their spiritual state, an unsaved sinner's destiny is separation from God, a place that Jesus called hell. And did you know he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven? A warning, you see, to all of us to take this matter seriously. To die is gain. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've known something of the transforming grace of God in changing you from what you were to what he wants you to be, then this is true. You may say to me, uh, I'd like to know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I would like to have this hope in my heart that when I die, I will go into the presence of Christ. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to have to face the searching judgment of God. Well, if that's what you're saying, let me take you to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Got it? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment, no hell for those of us who are in Christ. When we confess our sins, we turn our back on what was and we come to Christ and we receive him as our Savior. And if you've never done it, you can make it your prayer today. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the words of that old chorus that we used to sing, into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. You can have this hope in you today if Jesus is your Savior. We can have this confidence that absent from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord. Remember that thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The answer of Jesus, today, you will be with me in paradise. What a, a blessed assurance. I had a phone call one day from a, a relative, a distant relative. I, I didn't know him well, but he was uh, an uncle to my my daughter, and he said, John, can I see you? I, I said, yes, Ken. He said, I, I've just been told by my doctor that I'm, I'm going to die at a terminal illness. And he said, I've been thinking about it. I lived without God all my life, but I don't want to die without him. <laughs> Have you got that? That's what Ken Jones said to me. I've lived all of my life without God, but I don't want to die without him. And such is the grace of God, you know, that when a sinner turns to Jesus in repentance and faith, there is forgiveness. Whatever your past, whatever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus took it to the cross. He dealt with it. Thank God for Calvary. I'm saying it all the time. 
Because I'm a, a sinner saved by grace. Thank God for Calvary. We dealt with your sins and mine. Ken Jones, that day, trusted Christ as his saviour. I was with him when he died. And I know where he is now. He'd lived without God. He's not without God now. Forever with the Lord. Isn't that grace? The unmerited favor of God. He does it for any or all of us that will turn to him. At that moment, we receive Jesus as our savior. We're saved for time and eternity. And then, for you to live will be Christ. And then to die will be our gain. Christ exalted in the Christian's death. But just as importantly, we've got to consider Christ exalted in the Christian's life. Notice he says, for me to live is Christ. The same apostle wrote in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said he's been crucified. Can you remember reading of Paul being crucified? No, he wasn't. But in his reckoning, when Christ died, he died on the cross with him. That's why Jesus came, that's why Jesus died, so that sinners might have a savior. Hmm. That is how we are to exalt Christ in our lives, to live by faith in the Son of God. But what does that look like, living by faith in the Lord Jesus? If it is to be life in the body, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we are going to live henceforth fruitful lives for him. Christians are meant to produce fruit. And we know what the fruit is to be like. The fruit of the Spirit is, well, love and joy. Well, it's to be like Jesus. That's God's goal for all of us, to be conformed to the image of Christ. To understand what he means, let's listen to Jesus again. Remain in me, abide in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. One of the characteristics of this fruitful life is revealed to us in the, the life of Jesus. It was a life of in, uninterrupted communion with the Father. From the first glimpse that we get of Jesus at the age of 12, right up to the cross, we can see that his life was spent in an unbroken fellowship with his Father. Those nights that were spent in prayer were only special revelations of entire life in close contact with God his Father. He lived above all earthly distractions and unmoved by trouble. More than once his relationship with God was tested, but it stood the test. And he remained firm. 
this too is a possibility, you know, for you and for me, for all believers, a life in constant touch with God. Whatever our circumstances may be, however great the pressure may be on us in, in, in our life or our work, we can have the very life of God and the very abilities of God flowing into our life. This was the secret to Jesus' life, of constant victory over sin and the devil. Not once in our Lord's 33 years did our Lord yield to sin or to the devil. And this is the life that he offers to us, a life that is victorious and triumphant, overcoming sin and Satan. His will a life of fruitful labor. And Paul described what he wants that fruit to be. Progress in the joy of faith. He says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. That's a lovely phrase. I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith. He wanted to see them grow in grace and uh, to have the joy of faith. He wanted to stay with them for that end. The only way that we can live for Christ is to live by and for faith in Christ. And that, he says, will be a life of joy. And the secret is to live by faith. I wonder if it's clear to you why it is that in Paul's thinking to live is Christ. It's virtually the same as to live is to be devoted to your joy of faith. I think I can show you why those two statements are virtually synonymous. But we need a definition of faith to show that. See if you can accept this one. I think it's good. I think it's good New Testament theology. Test it. Faith is the confidence or trust that we put in a person who has given us cause to think that he's reliable and he's able and willing to help us in our need. Take a moment to reflect on that. Read it with me now. Sorry, let's go back. That one slide. Read it with me. Faith is the confidence or trust that we put in a person who has given us cause to think that he is reliable and is able and willing to help us in our need. Has Jesus given us cause to think that he's reliable? I think so. <laughs> I know so. And I know that he's able and willing to help us in our need. I think that's a good definition. I think we can find out why it is that for us to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And for me to live is your joy of faith. They're the same. Notice what that definition implies about the person trusted. Imagine that you're in Cardiff City Centre. I haven't been there for a while, actually, but you can imagine it. About five o'clock in the afternoon, walking to the bus stop, a man runs up to you with a sack of money, shoves it into your hand and says, would you deposit this for me? I've got to go. You ask, who are you? How do you know I can be trusted? You don't even know me. He says, oh, I don't worry about things like that. I don't care about that. I think you'll do it. 
go ahead and put it in the bank. And then he runs off. He disappears into the crowd. Has that man paid your compliment? I don't think he has. He's crazy. Foolish actions never compliments anybody. But now picture the same scene. You're walking along. A new man comes up to you, shoves a bag of money into your hand and says, would you deposit this for me? I don't have time. And you ask, wait a minute, how can you trust me with this money? You don't even know me. He said, oh, yes, I do. I know you well. I've watched you from a distance. I've spoken to lots of people. They know how you do your business. I've watched you handle your family from a distance. I've asked people, so many people that know you, and they think that you can be trusted. You're 100% trustworthy. You will do it. And then he's gone. You stand there holding this money with a tremendous sense of obligation. How do you feel? Well, I think I feel honored. Tremendously honored. Because he's trusted you on good evidence. I think that's the way it is with Jesus. We can trust Jesus because we know him. And we know what he's done for us. I love this verse. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Say it with me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That's so personal, isn't it? The Son of God loved me, John James, and gave himself for me. The Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. How do you feel? I feel tremendously honored. At this point in my life, and I believe God is saying it to me and you, I want you to have this all-encompassing goal, a very simple goal, that in nothing I might be ashamed, but in everything I might exalt Christ, whether by life or death. And to that end, I'm going to end by sharing with you three goals for me, and maybe you'll embrace them too. Firstly, my aim is to love Christ with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my strength. Because when I die, I want to be able to believe that that's gain. That in my dying, I want to be able to bear witness to a church that Christ is indeed great indeed and worthy of all of our trust. And secondly, while I live, my goal is going to be to be fruitful and to share the joy of the Lord. He said, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your advancement and your joy of faith. I want to help people grow in grace and to know the joy of the Lord. I think that's a good goal, don't you? And the third goal, since joy comes from faith, and faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. It will have to be my main goal to feed the flock the word of God every week, week in, week out. Someone said to me recently, 
Why don't you retire? You're 80. Stop preaching. <laughs> Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And in the gospel, the good news of life. Full, abundant, and forever. The motto of every sermon I preach is this. My words I've spoken to you in order that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. May it be your goal. In Jesus' name, amen.